I lost 100 pounds. I was sick. I was born with asthma and bronchitis. There were times where I would wake up in the middle of the night and couldn't breathe, right? This, this is like as an adult. And here I am, not an asthma attack in 12 years. I feel more vibrant. I feel more healthy. I feel more energetic. So for me, that's the natural response is to be like, yo, this shit works. If you're open to it, if you want to try it, I have a way. If not, cool. Um, but I know for a fact that like, if you change your diet, change your lifestyle, if you engage your body in, in physical exercise, if you meditate, if you practice breathing, if you're more aware, more conscious and more compassionate and more empathetic and you're growing your self-awareness, that your life will improve for the better. That's a fact. Hey, what's up, Jason? How are you doing, bro? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Busy day, but um, I'm happy just to be seated mm. right now. It feels very, very relaxing. To be seated, to be present, yeah. to be here. Yeah. Phone really. off. Yes, phone is off, which rarely ever happens. Yeah. It feels like whenever our phone is on, our brain is also on. And if you turn it off, it's like, what, what else is going to happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're just connected to whatever else is happening in the world. And if you look around, it's like the world is actually kind of moving slowly in yeah. a sense. Yeah. Yeah. The phone definitely picks up momentum and it just yeah. activates all these different pulls and tugs and so many different directions. So yeah, I'm happy to be be here, be present and have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I really appreciate you coming out here and spending this time with us like, we want to get to know you a little bit more. I, yeah. I don't know you super deep in terms of uh, your personal background. And we we know you from like Jason from the Wilmington Green Box, kind of yeah. like, you know, Alex from Target. <laughs> but yeah. um, I really want to know you, bro, and where you get your start from and like where you get your inspiration and how do you become who you are today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my background is I'm born and raised in the Bronx. So I lived in the Bronx for roughly 23, 24 years. Um, my professional background started at the age of 20 when I started as a paraprofessional, an assistant teacher at a special education high school. And that was like the first real opportunity that I had where it was an official job. Um, and the experience changed my life because working with kids I inherited this responsibility to be better for them. You know, mm -hmm. I felt like I was in this position where I was almost like a role model. So a, a lot of the shit that like I would get away with without everyone looking, um, now I couldn't get away with because I had to be better for them. Mm -hmm. and, and mind you, I was in a special education high school. So at the time, you were able to be um, 21 years old and still be in school. So some of these kids were the same age as me. Like I, I would know some of these kids' parents. Like I would see them out like in nightclubs and I was living a crazy life back then. <laughs> um, so yeah, having that job really gave me a sense of purpose. It was this opportunity to really be be there and show up for someone else. And um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed being a role model. I enjoyed 
just being an example. And it forced me to be better. Like it forced me to mature faster. Um, so I did that for some time. And then New York was just getting the best of me. You know, New York is very, very fast paced. I was living a very fast paced lifestyle. And between the pace of New York and just a bunch of other things going on, I needed a change. And my best friend got a job opportunity working for DuPont in Delaware. And he asked me if he should go. And I said, yeah, he left. And here I was in New York just needing a way out. And I reached out to him. We had a conversation. And he said, come to Delaware. And I had no idea where Delaware was, uh, even though it was two hours down the turnpike from New York. And I dropped everything. And I left. And Delaware was captivating for me personally because... It felt like it was the first time I kind of like had my head from underneath water. Uh, it felt like I had got off the treadmill for the first time and I could actually like decompress and I could just move at my own pace while still making strides. And that's what kind of kept me here was was seeing this opportunity to really just control my pace instead of the pace of the environment controlling me. And then being here after some time, seeing that there were so many problems that existed that I had already been exposed to solutions for. Because being in New York, I mean, you see everything at such a high scale and a high standard that coming here to Delaware was like, how the hell could you live downtown and not be a grocery store? I mean, like even now, you got people spending $2,000 for a two-bedroom apartment, and you can't leave your car parked and walk to a grocery store. And that bugged me out, because even living in the projects, you had a corner bodega store across the street that had everything you could imagine and more. And here is, you know, downtown Wilmington. So that became the thing for me being in Delaware. It was this, this opportunist perspective of looking at these problems as ways to come up with creative solutions. Now, was the grocery store slash like food market something you were passionate about or something you just saw the most opportunity in? That was one of the things that I saw that that kind of needed to be changed. But I would say that things really changed for me in 2011. So when I moved to Delaware, that was like 2007, 2008. And I continued my professional career working with kids. Um, it led me to working upstate New York counseling kids in a maximum secure youth prison where I was working with 14-year-olds doing 25 years of life in prison. Um, and then I continued doing behavior counseling. I continued doing IEP work. And my last job in 2011 was at Bancroft Elementary School over East Side, And uh, I was working with kids just especially kids with IEPs or kids that have ADD, ADHD, bipolar. And I took a kid downstairs for him to uh, take his meds. And he came back upstairs and he was in trouble. I was working in the in-school suspension room. And I kind of watched this kid just lose all creativity and enthusiasm and vitality from taking these meds. And up until that point, I had about 10 years of professional experience working with teens. So this was like regular protocol for me. Like I've seen this over and over again. 
But for whatever reason, at that very moment, it really bothered me. And I felt like I was more part of the problem than the solution. And I didn't know the solution because I was a part of that program of helping these kids in that way when you didn't know how to properly address the root. Shit, I mean, at that time, we didn't even know what the root causes of these behavioral problems were. We just figured, hey, you know, we slap a label on them, we give them meds, and we can at least control them. Um, and I quit after that, not knowing where I would go and what I would do. But at the time, I was reading this book called The Alchemist. And uh, if you haven't read that book, please go read that book. And the book was about uh, a boy and his personal journey to find himself and and his purpose. And I felt like at that time, my purpose was to find myself. And my thought process was, if I found myself in this process that I could find this solution that I was looking for to better be of support and assistance to these kids. So I went looking for opportunities and I found this consciousness-based education university called Maharishi University of Management. I was on Facebook and I saw it as an ad that popped up and I clicked on it. And that was the first time I ever heard the word consciousness or meditation. And here I am on their website, and I'm reading all these different things about meditation and breathing exercises and 100% organic vegetarian dining. And I didn't really knew I didn't really know what these concepts were at the time, but it was so different from everything I had ever been exposed to that I felt like that was it. And people thought I was legitimately going crazy <laughs> because they were like, how the hell are you going to leave your job and your house and your car and, and go to this school in the middle of nowhere in Iowa and study and practice meditation and yoga and give up meat? And, but I knew like that's where I needed to be. And that was all I knew which made it even more bizarre because when people asked me why I wanted to go, I didn't have an explanation. I just knew like it was a real intuitive feeling that I needed to take this leap. And I did. In 2011, I went to, to Maharishi University Management and uh, I met a guy from India who was a brahmacharian. Him and his other students embraced me and introduced me to the lifestyle and knowledge of yoga. At the time, I was 285 pounds. I lost my, my first 65 pounds in less than three months. Over time, I lost a total of 100 pounds. While attending that school, I became vegan after being there for a couple of months. And um, I got my, my yoga teacher training certificate, and I started teaching I also created my own um, interdisciplinary bachelor's degree uh, degree in youth development and social change. I'm the first only person to graduate with that degree. I customized it totally and created my own coursework to kind of get the, the necessary credits to, to obtain that bachelor's degree. And when I graduated in 2014, that was when I understood that the purpose of me going there 
was for me to learn everything that I had learned and to come back and to give what I had learned back to, to, to kids and to people in general. How has your purpose evolved over time after going through that experience of going through a meditation university, right? Yeah. Like who you were before that and then finding out that you had a greater purpose and then you came through the other end of the meditation university um, and then what did your purpose evolve into after you got out? Yeah. It was quite bizarre because the lifestyle that I had while I was at this university was very unorthodox. I mean, we would wake up as early as 5, 6 in the morning, depending if I was meeting with my yoga instructor and my peers. We would practice um, satsang for maybe an hour. Satsang is a practice where we engage in dialogue together. For the most part, just covering the the different knowledge and principles of yoga, whether that be through the Bhagavad Gita or the Hatha Yoga Pradikava. Then after engaging in dialogue, we would engage in breathing exercises, pranayama exercises. And then from there, we would engage in meditation, normally anywhere between 20 to 30 minutes. And then we may engage in some yoga asanas practice, some physical poses and postures, going through some sun salutations. So pretty much from like five, six in the morning to like eight, that entire time period was completely dedicated towards the practice, you know, the lifestyle of yoga. Mm -hmm. And then we went to class. And then in that school, meditation was incorporated and integrated in the academic learning experience. So you practice meditation for 20 minutes before you went to lunch. Then when you came back from lunch, before the end of your class, around 3 p.m., you would practice meditation again. And then you would practice meditation after that when you got to your room or you would go to the dome. If you were an advanced meditator, they had these domes about the size of football fields. They had a men's dome and, and, and a woman's dome. And you would practice the cities program, which is an advanced meditation technique in these domes with hundreds of other people. Um, in the evening, like around 6 p.m., the entire town would shut down. I mean, you would go to coffee shops and there would be signs on the door saying we're at the dome meditating. And that was regular. That wasn't like weird or bizarre. Like that's how important meditation and his lifestyle and practice was for the people that lived in that community. So after being there for three years, I was really confused about who I was because I was living life like a yogi, like 100%. My entire time was spent in consciousness, just studying myself, understanding myself. And then my peers were living the same way. So they almost act as like a, a sounding board for personal growth and, and, and development. And I mean... Everything from becoming vegan to meditating to practicing yoga to studying was my norm. And I didn't know if that's where I should stay and just dedicate myself in my life to expanding my self-awareness and consciousness or if I should leave and engage back into the world. Mm. And that was a very 
difficult process for me because the world felt so foreign. Like I would come back for for summers and like people were bugged out that like we would go out to eat and at times like I may only have like a glass of water or maybe like oatmeal or toast if that because in most cases wherever we went it was all meat all dairy all poultry all fish all turkey or whatever and um here i was like the only one you know just living this life but the life that i was living when i was in iowa it was hundreds of us like that's that was the norm so that transition was very difficult at first it felt like i was leaving one world and being transported into another and at times i would, I would feel like i'm the black sheep like this hat like <laughs> the black sheep you know i would feel like like the anomaly like holy crap like like which one is like okay like is is it this lifestyle of like practicing consciousness and yoga and being vegan or is it just fitting in with everyone else in the normal world and just living a normal life and it took me years of going back and coming back to understand over time and this took time that the whole purpose of me going and my purpose was to take everything that I had learned and put into practice and therefore embodied and to use that as a means to helping others help themselves by equipping them with this knowledge and with these tools and with these practices that I had discovered. And to this very day, I almost feel as if that still remains um, my purpose, is to use my experiences, to use my, my life, to use my, my lessons as a means to, to helping others, whether it be through food, whether it be through education, whether it be through business, that's that's kind of like how I how I live my life. Yeah. Oh, my mind is blown right now. Yeah. I had no, I had no idea that there is anything more than like the was it the cat and the cow or like the couple yeah of, cat a, cow yeah yeah, the couple, yoga, yeah a couple of yoga moves and then breathing. I didn't realize there was like all these terms that you mentioned. Where does that where does yoga come from? So, if we want to take it to its origin, 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 it is said that sages cognitize yoga. So, yoga derives from the Vedas. So, there's a, a Vedic tradition, Vedic knowledge, which is said to be interpreted by these sages, these, these scholars, who were that in tune with universal natural law, that they were able to take sound and vibration and consciousness and create a framework and a context that includes this systematic approach to discovering yourself that we call yoga. The word yoga is defined as union. And the word union is defined as full integration of mind, body and spirit. So yoga is a lifestyle that is full of these different practices, these different information, this different set of knowledges to ultimately obtain union, full integration. So within yoga, you have eight limbs 
and every limb is designed to target a different aspect of yourself to essentially create holistic growth and development. And that's what really turned me on about yoga because I wasn't at first about it. Like I thought it was just this middle-aged white woman practice (laughs) that involved yoga pants and yoga studios and hot yoga. Um, And here I am, a very much so masculine, black and Hispanic man from the Bronx, and those two don't really match up quite well. But after diving deep into it, I was like, wow, this is transformational. And not only that, it took what I had learned when we talk about spirituality that mostly just existed in texts, and it put it into action. And Mm -hmm. that's what I really liked the most was that it gave me practices. Like, it gave me tools. It was like, practice this meditation and you will have this experience. Eat this way, and you will feel this way. Do these breathing exercises, and you will eventually start to experience this. And that gave me this this empowered kind of feeling and control over my experience that I never had before. Because people would always say things like, you know, like godly things and self-awareness and all these different words and terminology, but I never had that experience. So that was the disconnect for me. It was like, how do I actually give birth to the experience of expansion of awareness and consciousness, of being that much more attuned and understanding yourself to be more than what you've what you've kind of told and conditioned yourself to be? And these practices actually did that for me. And that was what I knew I needed to share. Mm. It wasn't so much the dogma. It was like, hey, you do these things and this will happen. As long as you're consistent and you commit yourself to the practice and over time it turns into lifestyle, like this will be your waking reality and and, and state of of mind and, and state of of body, but I had to embody and put those things into practice for myself first. And now, if you look at all of my businesses, they somehow, some way, incorporate these different things that I've learned and put into practice and benefited from. I'm, I'm like kind of like putting the kale in the smoothie, you know, to make it like palatable for people to like get little doses of these things that I know that could be life transformational. So what are the eight legs? So it's different different limbs. So I'll go over some of them. One is meditation. Okay. Um, one is pranayama, which is the breathing exercises. Um, one is ahamsa. Ahamsa is like no harm towards all living things, any living thing. So my yoga instructor was a brahmacharian. A brahmacharian is someone that has been chosen from their family lineage to carry out the practice and lifestyle and understanding of yoga. And a part of that is living to these eight limbs. So he was absolutely abstinent, um, you know, can't engage in sexuality, um, can't engage in harming animals, harming insects, or or harming any sentiment beings whatsoever. So when it comes to your diet, that involves not eating animals. Um, And... 
there's another practice called meditation on on the divine, which incorporates this waking state of reality that involves in being conscious and aware of yourself and your surroundings and how you interact and engage with it. So to make it in lamest terms, it's almost like, hey, these are the different tools and information that you need to first learn and then put into practice, similar to like from a Christian perspective, how you have like the Ten Commandments, right? So it's like, don't do this, don't do that. And eventually, if you like live out, you'll kind of become this this person that naturally is compassionate and empathetic and understanding and doesn't see fit to cause harm. So the limbs are kind of designed that way within the yoga philosophy and context to kind of be this framework of like, hey, these are the different things that you can do and embody that will lead to this evolved state of personal growth and and, and development. And I, I had the benefit of being in an environment and being surrounded by like-minded individuals to help me yeah. learn that and experience that. And that is super important. Like I did not do this by myself. I wasn't on an island discovering this stuff on my own. Like I had an entire community of women and men that like they were my guardrails. They guided me through because a lot of them were way more advanced than I was because they had been kind of like diving into this stuff for a while. I was I was new to this to this world yeah. and they kind of like just embraced me and, and and walked me, you know, walked me down the path. So what what does advanced mean? And you mentioned mm. how when they would go to the dome, yeah. there was like an advanced meditation. Advanced meditation technique. Is that like an internal thing that's advanced or is it almost like advanced because you could sit in the middle of New York City and not be bothered? It's an advanced internal thing because meditation is scientific, right? There's some scientific things that happen when you meditate. For an example, your breath rate begins to reduce, which over time will reduce your heart rate which over time will put your nervous system to at, to, at, to at ease. We call that deep rest. And scientifically, when the physiology and the brain is experiencing deep rest, the body begins to heal, the brain begins to heal. It's been proven scientifically that white and gray matter in the brain begins to reproduce, begins to, begins to expand. It's been scientifically proven that cells that are dormant or not firing begin to get activated. All of this happens because you're just in that state of being in on nature's operating table, as they would say, where your body, your mind just starts to renew itself. And that's a very good principle that I've learned is like, In most cases, you just have to get out of your own way mm. and things will just start to happen as it should happen. And and yeah, so when we say advance, there's a process that's important that you go through. It's almost like transition to being vegan, right? Like if you're eating Popeyes today, like <laughs> you probably don't want to like go on a 40-day water fast tomorrow. Like you're going to go 40 through, day. Wow. Yeah, like you're going to go through like a significant amount of withdrawal and it's going to be very very uncomfortable and it's going to be shocking because you're going from one reality to another, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about advanced techniques, there's a process of conditioning that's important that you go through. Yeah. 
Because even for me, like when I first started learning meditation, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, this shit is trippy. You know? Like I'm sitting there. At times I know I'm sitting here. At times I'm like, I kind of know I'm sitting here, but I'm not sitting here. But I feel certain parts of my body, so I know I'm in the chair, but I can't remember how I got to the chair. Wow. It's a whole... It just... It, it takes some adjusting. And when you come from a world filled with stress and stimulus, mm -hmm. you have to be very uh, graceful with that process because you're... You're gonna do a lot of shedding. You're gonna you're gonna release a lot of stress because once the body is experiencing deep rest, it's gonna to start to heal. Once the mind starts experiencing deep rest and the nervous system starts experiencing deep rest, it's gonna to start to kind of shed all of that unwanted gunk and burden and weight that you've been carrying without you even knowing that you've been carrying, engaging in this 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 lifestyle. So yeah, when we speak to advance. Usually that's because the individual has gone through a process of refinement. Yeah. So like these practices aren't as harsh. They aren't as shocking. Mm. It's almost like a, it's like a seamless kind of pivot into like, all right, let's go a little bit deeper now. We've gotten here. Let's take this practice deeper. Mm -hmm. Like for me now, I, I could do a 30-day water fast wow. if I wanted to. But in 2011... I don't think I could do two days. Yeah. Just like when I first started, I was 285 pounds. I could barely touch my knees, you know? Now I put my entire palms on the ground, mm -hmm. you know, without bending my knees. So it's it's about that. It, I, I believe that it's important to go through a process of refinement Yeah. before engaging in, yeah, higher-level practices. Mm. You shared about how you came from a total environment like an immersive experience being out in Iowa. Yeah. And then you would come back to the East Coast during the summers and you would feel like a fish out of water because it's just like, you right, know, right. nine months over here and then three months over here. Uh -huh. And then eventually after three years, you were completely just going back to the East Coast. So how do you keep up with everything that you learned and immersed yourself into? And it's just maybe not the same community or yeah. feeling or did you end up finding some people out here that you were able to relate to that held you accountable to that or yeah. yeah how did how was that transition out of that university i mean the reality of it is you're going to fuck up mm -hmm. right because you don't really know what you know until it's tested like that's when you truly know whether or not you really are who you say you are, mm -hmm. right? Like if I tell you I'm I'm a monk, right? But I'm a monk when I'm in Tibet and when I'm living in the ashram, when I'm surrounded around <laughs> other monks and eating <laughs> kitchery, right? Like you don't know if you're a monk until you, you get transported to New York City and now you have to take the train to work and still meditate and still eat your kitchery and still be compassionate and loving to all sentient beings, right? So, like, I felt like it was important to come back home because that's when I, I knew if I had the discipline, if I had the willpower, 
And if this change and transformation was just on the surface. And I can honestly say that there have been times where, you know, I've kind of gotten into my old ways. Mm. But for the most part, what happened during those three years has never left me. And it is a part, a very important part of my fundamental foundation of self, right? So, like, I've been vegan for almost 12 years now, right? Like, I haven't gone on that. My meditation practice, it fluctuates. Sometimes it's twice a day. Sometimes it's four times a day. Sometimes it's never for two weeks, depending on how crazy life gets, right? But there's a part of myself that I've learned an experience that is always with me. And I think that's why, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, I've chosen to do the work that I do. I can't help myself but to infuse myself in the things that I do, in the work that I do, in the relationships that I cultivate and that I take seriously and that are important to me. Because it's important that these things are a reflection of that innermost part of of myself. And that requires a a different level of intentionality. But I'm human, so I I have faults and I fail and I I make mistakes. Uh, But that's also a part of the practice, having compassion not only to others, but to yourself, right? And like changing from a place of love and not fear And being abundant and not scarce, and, and that that that's a big part of the practice that the real world has has taught me, and it has made me it has made me stronger, mm. a lot stronger. I don't know if I would have been this strong if I would have stayed in Iowa. At times, I think about it, like what would my life look like if I stayed in Iowa? It's a good life, right? But I wouldn't have been able to make this impact. Yeah. yeah. And that's what makes it worth it for me. Even with the distractions and all the BS you deal with here. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's 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 the real value in having all of this if you just keep it to yourself? Like, the real value in, in having is so you can give. Like, that's the whole purpose. Well, for me, it was. It was like, I could just live a good life in Iowa and not be distracted by any of this shit and just coast life out and be blissed out for the most part. Eating some of the best food, living in sustainable eco villages and being surrounded by solar panels and wind turbines and like water waste management systems and eating raw avocados and like having bonfires and all that. But as good as that sounds, I don't think I would trade it in for the the position of responsibility that I hold in my community through the work that I that I do and, and how it impacts and helps others. You said that something along the lines of what good is all this knowledge if I'm not giving it to other people. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from for you? I think it comes from a lot of different places. I think it comes from not really having 
that done for me. Um, I know what it feels like to be ignorant and to not know better so you don't do better. That really helps my approach in my in my life through my work. It's it's it served me well. Like being where I'm from and living that and then living this, that duality has really helped me just meet people where they are because I understand wholeheartedly what it's like to be eating top ramen and unhealthy food and drinking soda every single day <laughs> and just indulging in bullshit food. And then, you know, I just finished a 30-day raw fruit fast where I'm eating like whole watermelons and drinking water, you know, every day for five days at a time. And then I may have three mangoes and a pound of strawberries. And that's it. Like, I, I know the range of of that um so i think not having and not understanding and being in that state of confusion has helped me understand how important it is to give what i have and to share what i what i know so i think a lot of it stems from that and then i think it's a responsibility that you naturally begin to cultivate. Well, for me at least, it's like if I go to a restaurant right now and it's the best damn food I've ever had, my natural response is to share that with everyone that I know because I just want them to experience something good that yeah. I've experienced. So like I lost 100 pounds. I was sick. I was born with asthma and bronchitis. There were times where I would wake up in the middle of the night and couldn't breathe, right? This is this is like as an adult. And here I am, not an asthma attack in 12 years. I feel more vibrant. I feel more healthy. I feel more energetic. So for me, that's the natural response is to be like, yo, this shit works. If you're open to it, if you want to try it, I have a way. If not, cool. Um, but I know for a fact. That like, if you change your diet, change your lifestyle, if you engage your body in, in physical exercise, if you meditate, if you practice breathing, if you're more aware, more conscious and more compassionate and more empathetic and you're growing your self-awareness, that your life will improve for the better. That's a fact. It, it, it works. So I want to share it when I, when I have the opportunity. So what are the different type of business ventures that you are up to today and how are you making impact through those different businesses or Yeah, mediums? good question. So I have a um, fast casual vegan restaurant, Green Box Kitchen, located in downtown Wilmington, Delaware. That, I mean, kind of speaks for itself. Just being a, a space, a safe space in this community to serve people high quality nutrient dense healthy delicious food it's it's again it's like it's it's like my way of like having my way with people by introducing them into like food that i know that's good for them right so i'm doing that through the restaurant but like the restaurant came from a nonprofit 
Wilmington Greenbox, where we, we employed and trained kids, taught them entrepreneurship skills through running the daily operations of providing people with direct access to different healthy goods. So we launched that with one kid, one push cart that we built from scratch, and cold-pressed watermelon juice. And we basically like hustled that watermelon juice everywhere we possibly could go with this push cart. Just introducing people to like something that was alternative to the soda and the stuff that they were drinking from the corner store of the Chinese restaurant, the iced tea full of 50% of white, you know, sugar. Like, and what we learned through spending years on the ground, I think this is important because people may be under the impression that I just arrived and shit just happened and, you know, now we're popping. It's like, we spent years on the ground convincing people that eating healthier was better for them than not. Mm-hmm. And that was a very humbling process because there were times where we would walk into barbershops and salons and people, grown adults, would argue with us because they didn't believe that carrots could make juice, that beets could make juice. Like, they could not believe that, like, a dried root vegetable could make juice. Like, that's what we were dealing with. And that takes an immense level of humility and compassion to solve that problem. Because if you come off as if, like, you're holier than thou, and it's like, yo, I'm vegan, and stop eating that bullshit, your whole life is (laughs) fucked, like, you know, like, people are gonna, like, people are gonna, like, wanna fight you, because, you know, people will defend their reality and their world, like, that's their world, you can't just shatter it in front of them, regardless if it's full of shit or not, that doesn't matter, like, you have to talk to people, you have to, like, build relationships, and we have to create a safe space. Like, this is, like, interpersonal work. So, like, we would meet people and be like, here, take the juice for free. Just try it. Do you like how it tastes? Yeah, yeah, I like it. Oh, I don't really like Okay, cool. Let me talk about the benefits of drinking a bottled cold-pressed juice versus Tropicana. Let's talk about what concentrate is, what pasteurizing. Let's talk about what the difference is in terms of sugar, in terms of nutrient, in terms of minerals. Let's talk about how this goes right into the bloodstream and nourishes your body on the cellular level compared to how this can lead to diabetes and, you know, clogging your arteries. Let's, let's talk about, let's have a conversation about these things. And that's what we did. Just teaching people and using this product as a tool to just building that bridge. This restaurant would not be successful if we didn't do that groundwork because this restaurant sells what we were preaching. But at the time, no one even knew they needed it because they had never been exposed to it because there was nowhere you can go and get a cold-pressed juice or a kale, spinach, avocado smoothie or a grain bowl that's absolutely alkaline or a gluten... Like These things did not exists five, six years ago in this downtown community. You couldn't get it. So that was a very important part of the journey. And Wilmington Greenbox kind of created the foundation for the restaurant. Um, 
I also have a yoga company. We're 100% mobile. I have a team of yoga instructors. So we teach mindfulness, meditation, nutrition, and yoga in schools to kids. We teach it to adults in corporate environments. We also teach it like in communities at large. I'm getting ready to launch this entire program at Delaware State University in the next like week and a half or so where I'm teaching um, newly college students the different practices that I learned, meditation and yoga. So I have that company in. For the most part, it's these three companies right now. The nonprofit, the for profit restaurant, and then the for profit yoga company that I'm that I'm managing and and that's still active. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any long term goals that you're working towards? You know what my long term goal is freedom. That's my goal. At first it was it was about impact, right? Nonprofit. That's why we started with nonprofit. Impact, 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 right? But like impact without understanding money will leave you broke. And then you're helping people, but you're not helping yourself because your situation and circumstance isn't changing. So you need to understand like the fact that we live in a relative world and there's relative responsibilities, right? So that's when the for-profit came into play. The for-profit was like, all right, we have to make money while making an impact. So that's a little bit about like the evolution. Impact, service, money, take care of myself, livelihood. Having the nonprofit and the for-profit taught me how to do them both. Because I've learned that I didn't have to compromise impact to make money. Cool. Now that I'm managing these companies, at first at least... It felt like I just created a glorified job for myself at my own company, which isn't what a business owner technically is, right? An owner requires leadership, requires delegation, requires systems that work on your behalf. So things are automated. So you can focus on working on the business, not in the business. No one taught me this. So I was doing everything, stress the fuck out. And at times I'll be like, yo, why am I not just working a job, getting paid more with benefits and doing less work? I'm working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, barely getting paid shit, and I have no benefits. So then I had to understand like how to be a business owner and what I want my role to be in my business. Now what I've been learning is like, what do I want my role to be in my life? Mm. And what does my lifestyle therefore look like? And for me, the closest term that I've come across is is freedom. It's to not exchange being in business for the autonomy and use of my time as I see fit. Because a lot of people do that, where now they're in business and they're making money and they're doing this and everything's happening, blah, blah, blah. But they have no sincere, intimate, personal relationships with anyone because 
they can't give the right amount of attention, energy, and focus to them because they're they're managing this thing that's growing, evolving, and consuming their lives, or they don't take care of their children if they're their parents, or they don't take care of themselves because they've convinced themselves that focus on the business is more important than that. And I've tried my best to not be a victim of those different traps that happen. So my long-term goal is to completely automate to the best of my ability these different companies and to focus on what I do best. And what I do best is being a, a creative visionary. Like I can see a lot of the things before they happen, but I'm not as good working in the business versus on the business. Like I'm not an operator. Like there are people who pride themselves on just being a workhorse. And I used to be that all my life, but I'm evolving into something different. Like my, my real value is, is in, is in providing guidance and leadership. And that's what I want my life to look like. I, that's what I want my involvement, even in my business to look like. And I want to use as much of the leftover time that I have while having the money to live a good quality life, just doing the things that I enjoy, like spending time with my daughter or riding my bike or taking a walk or hopping on the train on a random Tuesday and going to Philly and finding a good vegan restaurant. And that's my long-term goal is to, uh, is, is to live that, that type of life and to continue my impact. But, playing a different role hmm. in it all, not being the end all be all to everything that I create. Yeah. What's so. the difference between what you're doing today and where you want to be and how do you bridge that gap? I think it's my role. I think when you're first starting out a business, you have to do, or you don't have to, but most people end up doing everything themselves. I did because I didn't have the understanding of how to actually set up a business. When you go to Silicon Valley, they teach you from the beginning to read the e-myth and to know whether you're a technician or whether you're an owner, whether you're an operator. Like They teach you that. The reason why is because you're growing the business to scale, not just to say that you're in business and create a job for yourself there. Right. So with scalability in mind, you have to understand the way a business works. There's layers to how a business function. There's an executive team. There's a operations team. There's employees. There's HR. There's all these different layers to it. I had no idea these things existed. So as a result, me and my business partner, we did everything and we ran ourselves thin and, 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 and dry. And now I know from the beginning, I didn't have to take this approach. I could have gone through several rounds of funding. I could have funded these different layers of management and from the beginning put myself in the role that's truly within alignment to myself and just operate from that space from the very beginning. So the bridge to getting there is me understanding unapologetically who I am and what my role, what I want my role to be in my businesses and setting up my businesses in a way where they still can be sustainable having people that are smarter than me in the areas that I don't really want to be concerned with so I can just operate within a role that's truly within alignment to my passions, my talents, my gifts. 
and I'm in that process right now in real time. I'm literally going through that process of setting things up, organizing operations, doing SOPs, putting systems and processes in place so I can step away and step into my role and get a bunch of people better than me so these things could just soar and evolve, not just at the expense of like my expertise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the plan. So what does your leadership journey look like and how have you progressed from doing everything and then, like you said, delegating and trusting people to soar? That's the part I have not figured out. That's that's where I am right now. The farthest I've gotten is finding people that are where I want to be, that like live the life that I want to live and being mentored by them. That's probably... One of the best pieces of advice I could give to any aspiring entrepreneur, it's to find someone that represents everything you want to represent and learn from them. Like, just listen. Don't interject. Don't come with your own ideas and thoughts and experiences. Just fucking listen. Because they've done it already. Like... And that requires real humility. You got to put the ego and the pride and like all that shit to the side. And you just have to like listen from people who are already there. They're already, they're already doing And that will save you so much money and so much time. You know, like so many entrepreneurs do it for ego's sake. You know, they, they have insecurities. They got issues internally, and they're trying to fill these voids through this act of doing business. And it only hurts themselves in the long run because, yeah, you may have the trophy and the accolades and have the money, but internally, you're still rotting because you haven't attended those issues because those things don't solve those internal issues. The money never solves the internal issues. You solve the internal issues. You know, you have to confront and deal with those things internally. So a lot of that is taking place now where people are becoming business owners for all the wrong reasons. And it's when you're in it for all the wrong reasons, it can be a a gut-wrenching, difficult time, you know? And I don't think entrepreneurship is for everyone. You know, I, I think you I think you have to know what you're signing yourself up for. And I think just like in chess, you have different pieces on the puzzle with different purposes. Just like in basketball, you have different roles, different team. It's like that. Some people are employees. Some people, that's, they are. They're operators. They can be some of the best employees out there, but some people don't have the mindset or capacity or creative bandwidth to run a company to have vision and to lead you have to know yourself like you really have to know yourself to know where you want to be and what you want to do and what that looks like that's the foundation of all of this is know thyself it's this the the basic and main principle of of business and life that's how you can reduce the the friction and the 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 unneeded resistance as much as possible I feel like the amount of self-awareness that you have in yourself through the way that you speak and all the things that you share with us is a lot of the things that we're learning within our journey. 
And yeah. it's like, I really related when you're like, oh my God, 60, 70 hour weeks and we're not even getting health insurance. We're getting paid this <laughs> low wage. It's like, man, I could be over there at Chase. It's yeah. like, it's, <laughs> it's real. It's like, I could be doing nothing at my desk and just stacking 70, 80 racks. Yeah. It's like, I could just go call my boy up and it's like, and then, but then you're not designing the life that yeah. you want to live. Yeah. And it's like, you're not working towards the purpose that you want to. Yes. Towards. You're working towards somebody else's purpose right. that doesn't even align with your values. Yes. And I think this is the education gap. It's knowing how to approach designing a life. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's where there's so much room for growth. It's knowing how to go about the business, how to go about designing your life. And usually, for most of us, the how is learned through trial and error. You don't have the blueprint. You're not starting with the understanding. You're figuring out the blueprint through making mistakes, which costs money and costs time, right? I met this guy locally. He has a very successful construction company, like a flagging company, million-dollar company. And I asked him, I said, what led you to your success? And he said... It was knowing that I didn't know anything. And that forced me from the very beginning to find people smarter than me, better than me, to do everything that I wanted to do. And I told, and I told him, I was like, shit. Like, my whole approach was I can do everything. I can learn anything. If you throw anything at me, I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to, like, and that all came from a place of not feeling valuable, not knowing who I am and feeling deeply as a man insecure and using hard work as a means of developing my self-worth and there's a lot of men who do that they they work hard 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 so they can live up to the worldly expectations of like a good man works hard Mm. a good man sweats a good man grits (laughs) a good man hustles a good man isn't a good man if he isn't working 40 hours a week and providing for his family and it's like we have to transcend that and understand that the way that we approach that could be so much healthier where you don't have to compromise and sacrifice your relationships just to be a provider as a man or to be a business owner. Like, and that's the missing. That's what's missing. It, especially with, with younger people aspiring to be entrepreneurs and business owners. It's that understanding of like, okay, cool then, Jason. How do I approach it better yeah. where I keep my health intact? I can still be a father from a parent. I can still be in a committed, loving, intimate, personal relationship that I'm actually nurturing and not dismissing and neglecting in the name of being successful. There's a lot of men out there who are successful in business and not successful in their homes and in their marriages and in their relationship with their kids. And at the end of it all, like when you put things in hindsight, because I'm 39 approaching 40, those things matter. When like the people that you lay next to and sleep to don't know you, when your kids don't know you, 
when the people that you love or you say that you love and that you're doing all this for don't have a relationship with you, like those things will really fuck you up emotionally and psychologically. So I'm learning now, like, okay, how do I have it all? And that's how I'm designing everything that I do. It's to feed and nourish that idea of, okay, how do I have it all? And it's about being smart, you know? It, it, it's, it's an entirely different trajectory that I understood from the beginning that I understand now. Mm-hmm. I love what you said about the humility in terms yeah. of like that one construction business owner. He's just like, the reason why I'm so successful is because I actually know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I was talking to one of my friends earlier today and he was just like, Yo, you're a salesman. You're excellent. And I was like, I don't believe that. <laughs> you know, I was like, I got so much to learn. He was like, he's like, you heard what you sound like on that phone? Like you were closing them, bro. And I was just like, I could have done so many things better. I mean, I'm implementing what other people are teaching me, trying to, you know, lower my ego, mm-hmm. trying to continuously be in that seat of being a student, being mentored for a lifetime. Because yes. the moment that you give in to that hype that other people have for you that, oh, you're so cool because you can do this or you got this talent or you got these skills, it's just like that will be to your detriment. Yeah. That's when you will stop growing. That's when yeah. you will stop pushing yourself because you start believing that you are actually the shiz, you know? Yeah, I think you get blind to that while it's happening. It's very hard to see it. When it's happening, it creates blockages like blind spots. Yeah, and um, and just to play devil's advocate, it's also important to have confidence. You know, because this shit is hard, right? This shit is this shit gets real. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, how do I be confident and be humble? Mm-hmm. How do I embrace humility? But also understand the place and purpose of ego, right? Because personal persona matters in the world world of business. How you walk into a room, how you start a conversation, how you shake a hand, whether it's all egotistical or not, has a place in the relative world, right? People use those as indicators of assessing you as a person. So it's very complicated to like walk that that line of like, I'm going to be assertive, I'm going to be confident, I'm going to be passionate, but I'm going to be humble. Yeah. And I'm going to listen, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to embrace failure. It's like, mm-hmm. and I think that what the glue to keeping all of that together, all at the same time, is self-awareness. You got to know yourself better than anyone else. And then you'll be that much more in control over your reactions and responses to life, which will help you accelerate and evolve significantly. I don't think you could skip that step of self-awareness. In fact, I think business is so difficult for most people is because it forces you to learn yourself. Mm-hmm. And the more stubborn you are with Learning yourself through the act of doing business, the more difficult doing business will be for you. Because most of the time, your business is going to tell you and show you what the fuck you're not doing. It's just a matter of are you paying attention to it. Wait till you have employees. Employees will tell you. 
Like, yo, you never hear. Like, yo, every time I call you, you don't pick up. You're not responsive over email. Or when I talk to you, I don't feel like I have your attention. Some people just blow all that shit off. It's the people who say, damn, you're right. I'm not present. Let me work on being present. You don't work on being present in the business. The business shows you that you need to work on being present. And then you do the things personally that you need to do to work on being present. And I think, yeah, I think that's why entrepreneurship is so difficult. It's going to force you to grow. Yeah. It's going to force you to have difficult conversations. It's going to force you. Or not. Or you can just, you know, <laughs> be like, not- I'm out. Or you could just choose to not grow and just like just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. just stay where you are your entire life. Yeah, yeah. Which I've thought about. There've been times where I've 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 hit some really hard walls, and I've been like, "Fuck this, I'm good. I don't need to be doing this shit. <laughs> I don't need much, you know." And that's fear. It's just fear, doubt, not knowing. You know, it's just creeping in. Mm. Yeah. So, what are some things, if any, that you're feel fearful of right now? I think I I think for me now at this stage a lot of it is parenting just being like a really good father you know like you all know being an entrepreneur it takes time you know it takes money it takes effort it takes energy and I hold myself to very high standards you know so a big role of mine as a father is to like is to uphold this responsibility to make sure that she she has a better life than I did, you know? And uh, that's that's a heavy one, you know, because it just doesn't involve, like, money. It involves being present and teaching and spending time, you know? And sometimes I don't have as much time as I want to now, especially with things being as busy as I am. Um, so sometimes, you know, I have that fear, like, you know, how will she end up? You know, we should make the same mistakes I made. And then I understand, oh, she's her own person, too. So there's only but so much you can do. So you have to honor that, you know, too. But besides that, I don't, I don't have, I don't have too many fears. Yeah. At, at one point, I used to fear, like, death. You know, I would fear like, damn, what happens if like, you know, all the shit just stops, you know what I mean? And now, whenever I think about that, I just remind myself to just show up 1000%. Like, Mm -hmm. just leave it all on the fucking table. So any given moment, if it's your time to clock out, you can be like, I had a hell of a shift. (laughs) (laughs) I fucked the game up. You know, I changed this shit. I did things people told me I couldn't do, and and I think you you gotta you gotta have that mindset, you know. Otherwise, you'll live with regrets, and you'll be very resentful and bitter, and like you don't want that. Yeah, you don't want that. I have that same mindset, but it's uh, what's it called? I haven't gotten to the point that I have overcome the. A fear of death as much as just like oh i'm gonna show up a thousand percent i'm gonna leave it on the table yeah and it's like 
I am not going to live with any regrets on that deathbed. And he's like, but how I'm going to die? That's one of the things. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh my God. Dude, <laughs> dude stop saying Oh, I've told everybody this like a thousand times. So I'll tell you after, after this, like yeah. exactly why I think how I'm going to die. But it's like, it's, it's played out. He needs to stop point. saying it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to leave it on the table, man. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. that hypes me up. That hypes me up. Yeah. Yeah, you, um, when you get older, how old are you guys? 21. 24. Yeah. When you get older, uh, life takes a different perspective because as you're getting older, everyone else is getting older. Your grandparents are getting older. Your parents are getting older. Your aunts, your uncles are getting older. And just, you know, what happens with old age is, you know, people transition, right? And... It's watching people around you transition that starts to really, like, put things into perspective. You know, it's like, fuck, I'm grateful. Thank, like, I'm here. Thank God. (laughs) Even if shit's a mess, I still have the opportunity to fix this mess Many people don't have that yeah. opportunity to even fix their fuck-ups, you know? And I'm here, and I could just focus on being better, mm-hmm. you know? And there's so much gratitude in just that blessing of being here, especially when you start to just see people just like, you know, they just take their turn, yeah. you know? It's just like... Yeah, I just got to remind myself, like, I don't have everything I want. There's still this end game and goals and all that shit. But when it's all said and done, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm happy and uh, I feel good about the life that I've lived so far. What's your best piece of advice or most repeated lesson that you've taught to your teens that you've mentored over the years through the Green Box Project and the people that you've met? Like, what are you consistently pouring into other people? I remember telling this kid, he was like, you know, I just want to focus on getting my money up, making money, making bread, and da 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 da. I want these cars, I want this, I want that. And I remember saying, I'm like, just make sure you're working on yourself, right? And he's like, why would that matter if I have a bunch of money? Like, people don't care about that. Mm. And I told him, I said, you know, no matter where you go in life, you take you with you. So no matter how much shit you have, you still have to deal with yourself. You still have to go to sleep. Eventually, the phone will die, the noise will begin to fade, and the stuff that you're doing will stop, and you're going to be left with yourself. And if you're not happy with that person, if you don't like that person, if you don't love that person, life is going to be very, very, very difficult. It's going to be very, very, very depressing. I know people who don't have shit compared to worldly standards. 
and are blissed the fuck out. Happy. My grandmother transitioned, I don't know how many years ago. And I, she was like my Dalai Lama on earth. The most beautiful, compassionate, caring, empathetic, understanding woman that I've ever encountered. She would always tell me like, she, she just got like social security. My grandfather took care of her and she always just tell me like, here, take this money. I don't want this money. Like, take this money. I don't care about this money. I'd be like, why? She'd be like, I don't care about that. I have my house. I have my food. I have my grandson. I don't care about this. She was so happy with who she was that her needs trumped her wants. And being that her needs were met, she was content. She would wake up in the morning. Sometimes I would see her just drawing cartoons at the the breakfast table, whatever. And then she would take a walk outside and just blissed out, just full of joy and humor. And like, and she didn't have a yacht and a mansion. She didn't live in Miami. She was just a regular, you know, like a woman. She cooked. She loved her family. And yeah, like you, 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 you have You have to work on yourself. You have to know yourself. You have to. It's imperative. That is your anchor. And and the closer you get to yourself is the closer you get to what you may call God, what you may call the universe, what you may call nature, because it's all intertwined and connected. So the further and, and, and deeper that you know yourself and acknowledge that and accept that and understand that is the more you'll be anchored in the the bigger, the bigger cosmic, unexplainable picture that's the fabric of reality in and of itself. And that brings a, a level of bliss and contentment that... No one can take from you. Not a lost opportunity, not a lost job, not your business failing. Once you have that, you've won. Everything else is extra. Everything else is just like, do I want this Tesla instead of this Lexus? Yeah, all right, let me work to get the Lexus and the Tesla. And if I don't have any of them and I'm forced to take the bus, I'm still good. There's people out there that live like that. And, like, those are the people that, like, I study, Mm -hmm. I watch nowadays. It's, like, those people that are just, they always just lit up. No matter the situation or circumstance, they're just excited about life. Like, those are the the people that you want to, like, get close to and keep close because they're going to give you that, they're going to give you that wisdom. And it's usually so simple it just goes over your head, (laughs) you know. Yeah, that would be it. That's dope, man. Do you ever feel like with all these things you're working on and knowing that there are people that live like that, maybe that it's like a waste of your time or you're kind of like working on the wrong things because you need to, you don't need all that to be that person? I've had thoughts like that. I've had thoughts like that. Like, 
why not just like cut the chase, right? And just like get to it. I think that's when you have to just know like your mission. Mm. Like you have to have a, a vision for yourself. Like I, I know that the things that I'm doing, I'm supposed to be doing because they, they came to me. That's how I, mm. that's how I interpret the world. I think everyone interprets the world different. Like I, I interpret the world through vision. I can see things. I can, I get these downloads. That's how I created everything that I've created. Is through like I can see it. I can touch it. Sometimes I'll dream about it, right? So like, these things that I'm doing, I, I still see it. So I know that it has a place and it has a purpose on my life. Like it's a part of my mission. Um. But. You guys know David Goggins? Yeah. Of course, right? He had this interview recently. You guys should watch it. I'll send it to you after this. Then the guy was like asking him about success. And he said, you know, I'm about to stop doing... He was on a book tour. He just released a book not too long ago. He's like, I'm about to stop signing books, going on a book tour, speaking, everything like that. And he's like... The interview's like, why? Like, you're successful. And he's like, you know, I'm at a point where I have to cap my success because my success will take away from me being David Goggins, the very thing that made me successful. He's like, I'm spending more time managing the success and not enough time being David Goggins. Like, I still need to be David Goggins. Like, the reason why you love me is because... Of the man that I am when I wake up and I and I attempt to like overachieve these goals and be physically fit. Like, but if I'm spending all my time managing success, being on tour, speaking, everything, like eventually I'm not going to be nurturing, giving time to the thing that makes me me. Like the thing that makes me tick. The thing that you fell in love with. But you have to be. Very mindful to not get caught up in the worldly attention and that comes with that. Like you, 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 you always have to make time in your life for the things that just make you you, the things that make you tick, the things that make you make yeah. you happy. Like you, you have to maintain that. And sometimes the illusion is that I could trade this in for that and be happy because the world mm-hmm. tells me that's going to make me happy. But that doesn't matter. What makes you happy is what matters. For some people, that is just like riding their bike and taking a daily walk and living a super humble, just regular life. But if you don't have the conviction to say, I'm okay with that, and instead you follow what people tell you to do... Mm-hmm then you may end up living a life that doesn't make you happy. Yeah, that's the equivalent of people working the 9-to-5 job that is because everybody else around them yes. is doing it, not because you really want to do it, not talking down on the 9-to-5 job yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people, that's just what fulfills them yes. and that's what fills up their cup. But then there are some people who have a heavy burden on their heart and have certain mm. purposes, callings. And yeah. it's like, that's why we pursue maybe these super risky entrepreneurial ventures that like make an impact in the world. Yes. Yes. And I, I think the further you know yourself is the further you can infuse yourself in that thing that's making an impact. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just knowing that 
this is how I want to make an impact. When we think about the littlest things like the zipper or the the sneaker, right? Like the guy who invented the zipper, there may have been people around there like, yo, that's a shitty ass, stupid ass idea. Like you should focus on being like a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer, like something that's really going to make an impact on the world, right? And here we are, like the zipper changed the fucking game <laughs> of life <laughs> for human beings who wear clothes, right? And it's like, sometimes you just have to know yourself enough to know that like, nah, this is what I'm here to do. This is my yeah. impact. Whether it's being the, the janitor at like... No one ever forgets because of the way he just cleaned his school and loved what he did and had a smile on his face. Or it's the woman in like the soup kitchen at the community center, or it's the guy who's like a construction worker, or it's the business owner or the entrepreneur. Yeah. Like what matters most is that you're you're doing the thing that really lines up to you. Then you can be fulfilled in doing the very thing that's within alignment to you. Love it in the process of making an impact that's positively, you know, influencing others. That's the win. That's the win-win. It's like Thomas Edison who invent, invented the light bulb. And it's just like not everybody is called to invent a light bulb per se. And it's just like you don't need to do that. But then there are some people who have that creative nature to invent yes. something. Or drive some type of innovation. And just imagine if he's if someone told him like, "Don't do that." He said, "All right." <laughs> uh, we just sing in darkness, <laughs> <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like, so you gotta think about these things. Like, yeah, like people told me not to do Green Box Kitchen. Me and my business partner, like, people told us like, there is not a market for a vegan restaurant in Delaware. There's not enough people who are vegan or who care to be vegan. Like, they don't want that here. It's not gonna work. Like, don't do it. And we were like, nah, you don't know. Like, we're we're on the ground. We're watching the demand increase in real time. That was the only reason why we opened the restaurant. It was because people came to us and said, we need that juice every day. Matter of fact, we need more than that juice. We need food. Like, you need to open up something so we can come every day. That was, we did not want to open a restaurant. I have no restaurant experience. In fact, I fucking hate working in the restaurant. It's a lot of fucking work. It's a lot of work for a little bit. It, it's a lot of work, right? But I was more so tied to like, damn, we're going to be able to nurture and nourish people like they've never been nurtured and nourished before right here, right now if we create this. And they're asking for us to do it. Fuck it. Let's do it. Could I have been smarter about my approach? Yes. <laughs> Knowing now. But all in all, I'm happy with the way that things that things turned out. But that was me tapping in and tuning into self and being like, yeah, you got to do that. You know? Yeah. Thank God I, lis I listened. Yeah. So, dude, if people want to get a hold of you, reach out to yeah. you. And what are some things in which you're working on in which maybe you want to share with people that they could possibly support you in as well? Yeah. Is there anything in which you would like people to 
um, reach out to you about or get to know more yeah. about your mission, your vision, support you in your goals? Yeah, so right now we, we just launched like this urban farm garden. We got some land in North Wilmington, so we're practicing like growing our own food. That's a big one too, like just something as simple as just knowing how to grow your own food. Um, yeah, it's huge. So if you go on Green Box Kitchen through Instagram or, or Facebook, you're going to be seeing things about that. That's a huge thing we need support and like people just like come out and support it, like getting people like hands in soil and stuff like that. Um, coming out to the restaurant, you know, um, yeah, we serve really good food and like, yeah, people enjoy, you know, what we have, what we have to offer. So like, Coming out and just showing love and showing support and patronizing is is very important. So we can just kind of keep the mission alive and keep things going and keep things moving forward. Um, besides that, yeah, I think what's most important is that you, you find you activate that thing that makes you happy. Because I think that's one of the most overlooked contributions you can make to society is just being a, a happy, fulfilled, kind person. And, and and I know from experience the transformation impact that that leaves on, on people's lives by just doing that. So yeah, if you're, if you're, if you're doing that and eating some green box kitchen, <laughs> then you're checking off a lot of boxes <laughs> for me. That's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. I can verify that the food is really good. Awesome. And uh I wanna thank you. So we just we stumbled upon the Green Box Kitchen. Yeah. And there's something about the energy and I was like I said to Irene, I was like, Man, whoever owns this dude, I wanna have him on our podcast. <laughs> and then because we were like looking at all the art, it was so cool. Yeah. And then some dude is like super enthusiastic and he's like, Oh, did you guys try the acai bowls? And Irene ordered one and then he gave us our food. And I was like, man, that was sick. Like, we really got to have this dude on. And then it turns out it was you. That's crazy. And, like, I just want to let you know that you made my day that day. Awesome. The man. food was great. And thank you for your time here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Super appreciative of you, Jason. This has been the Not Genius Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Signing off. Peace. Peace.